Thank you for tuning in to another episode of One More Story. Just a quick programming note, parents, if you'd like to skip past the interview and go straight to the first story, you can find it at the 10-minute mark. And please be sure to like, subscribe, leave a review, and follow us on all the social media platforms at One More Story Podcast. Thanks so much for tuning in and enjoy tonight's episode. Clark Freeman, welcome to the show. How are you, buddy? Good, good. Thanks for having me. It's great to have you on. So, Clark, tell us a little bit about yourself. I've known you for uh, probably close to 20 years when you were starting out doing theater in Santa Monica and Venice. And How is uh, that possible? 20 years already? It goes by quickly, doesn't it? Oh, man. Fast. Yes. And I remember going to your French toast uh, brunches and discussing your first feature, right? Wasn't that your first feature, Yellow Brick Road? Yeah. Yeah, Yellow Brick Road. That was the one, the, uh, the Sunday, Sunday French toast meetings where you eat French toast and talk about scripts. You know, why not? That's when you had time, right? <laughs> yes. Pre-kids, pre-everything. You think back to that time, you're like, I was so busy. I'm like, what was I busy with? No- nothing. Absolutely nothing. I mean, what are your Sunday mornings like now? Oh my God. It's up at 6.30 to the farmer's market and then getting the kids over to basketball. It's, it's, it's just a constant. It's like falling down the stairs. Like you, just, you can't stop it. It just happens. Right. But at least you're falling into a, a farmer's market. I mean, there are, wor- there are worse ways to start your Sundays. That is true. That is true. Uh, about me, I don't know. I'm uh, born and bred downtown Chicago and uh, started in the theater there young after watching my brother and then my sister followed on after me. And then uh, went to college out in Vermont, Middlebury. And uh, at that point, I think uh, my brother was on Broadway, actually, in New York. Really? And, um, what show? Yeah, yeah. He was in uh, View from the Bridge. Okay. With Anthony LaPaglia, Allison Janney, and the late, great Brittany Murphy. And uh, he was out there and I was like, you know, I grew up in theater and, and had a theater degree and a lot of friends from college were going to DC and New York. And I was like, yeah, I can't. I followed my brother this long. It's not going to happen. I'm going to go west. Somehow I stumbled into my SAG card in high school by doing commercials. And um, I always loved movies and I always knew that I was going to be doing movies and stuff. So I came out west. And funny story, my brother followed me soon after and so did my sister. So um, yeah, I was out here for, ran a theater company for about 10 years almost basically, you know, doing the thing where you're an actor and you get things here and there, but you're waiting for the phone to ring. So, uh, instead of doing that, why not do the thing you're trained to do? So my buddy Andy Mitten and I started a theater company and, uh, we did that out here, but we always knew we were going to do movies. So we would do, you know, short films and other things kind of as practice. And then it all culminated in our French toast mornings with uh, yellow brick road. And then we went off to make that movie and, uh, it became a love it or hate it cult classic and we've been making movies ever since i love it it taps into uh to that sweet spot of existential dread which you you guys really like to uh to get into that uh because i just watched the harbinger which you executive produce is that right correct yeah yeah it's our fourth feature they're all kind of uh i call them highbrow horror but right now it seems to be really having its heyday so we're happy about that it's got sort of those surface scares but then below that surface there's that that just deep deep dread 
Oh yeah, no, no. You, you you watch the movie. You have a good time. You have a couple jump scares and oh this that and you you go talk about it afterwards. But it's not till you're getting ready for bed, and you're lying there and you start thinking about the movie again, and then you just start crying because <laughs> you're like, yeah. what's the point of it all? I mean, there's people that like to rewatch those things, but I would put Harbinger like that would be um, Deer Hunter is something that you know I appreciate the artistry we'll probably never see again because it it just made me curl up in the fetal position. I'm not going to lie. I went to go see our premiere at a Fantasia Fest in Montreal uh, last summer. And the coolest thing about it was, A, we were all back in a theater together, you know, being able to watch it post-COVID. But B was, since the movie has is kind of set in COVID times, it's not about COVID, but it's set then, was hearing all the people in the audience have like – their moment, like whatever it was, if it was, you know, two characters hugging for the first time or taking off masks or leaving the home, there was something about this movie that tapped into the existential dread that we all felt like worldwide. Like most movies, you know, some people go, oh yeah, I can relate to that. Or, oh yeah, you know, this speaks to me. But this movie, like everyone went through it. So everyone knows about it, but hearing people just release that or seeing that accurately portrayed on screen was such a cool moment because there wasn't it wasn't like you know oh it's the laugh or everyone has the same reaction at the same time it was little things making people pop off and you hear them either like exhale or like uh you know just have some sort of emotional reaction to it that that was i don't know i thought that was really cool and i wasn't expecting that until we were all in a room together yeah, I mean, it. I, I think it especially hit me hard because I watched an early cut that you sent me. Mm-hmm. And I don't know how far out of the woods. It was like too close for me. <laughs> <laughs> you know, where I was like, I'm not ready. I'm not, I'm just not mentally ready to go back to that. It'd be interesting for me to watch The Harbinger in like five years. Yeah. And to have a little distance, you know. I think I, I think there's a, there's a time capsule nature to it, and yeah. the thing I'm excited about that is I think it's very accurate. It's not like it's put on or it's like gimmicky. It's like it's just a real slice of what that was. And I think in five, seven, ten years, people are going to watch that and be like, "Oh my god, like awful!" And the performances are insane. You know, I mean. Uh, the 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 acting the writing i mean it's just i mean it's it's top notch so congrats on uh congrats on all that success thanks brother appreciate it yeah man um well since this is a bedtime story <laughs> we should podcast, stop talking about horror movies well <laughs> <laughs> i want to know a little bit about your bedtime routine i know you have kids you know how you wind down how you wind them down favorite stories you had as a child. Tell me a little bit about bedtime for you. Yeah, yeah. I've I've got two little ones. Uh, I have a nine-year-old son and a six-year-old daughter now. It's funny how the bedtime routine changes as they age. Uh, When they were younger, you know, it was always, we've always read to them at night. And that is, that is something we, my wife and I both believe in uh, because it's important. But uh, there are times like when we'd be on vacations, I realized that I wouldn't have books. So I, I would tell them stories and make up stories and they would just probably ramble on and on. And they probably just got so bored that they fell asleep. That's the point. <laughs> but my daughter's found, she had me look up on my iPad. Like, she's like, oh, well, you know, we didn't bring all the books. So can you find a book on your iPad? And I was like, I, I, I could probably do that. 
And there are these like five minute stories that are based on, you know, it's, it's Cinderella, it's Pinocchio, it's stories, you know, but I swear to God, it's written by the guy who writes those like Nigerian prince emails. Cause it's, it's obviously not their English is not their first language. So it's written terribly. So I have to kind of like augment as I go along. But yeah, now my son, I probably because we read to him so much, is an avid reader. So he will go in his room and read himself to sleep or at least read until we shut off the light because he will be up all night reading, which is cool. That's amazing. But my daughter now goes to school and grabs books from the library to bring home and has me read through them during the week and then goes and gets more books. So um, yeah, I, I read to her in bed. And uh, Now, did you have a favorite bedtime story when you were a kid? I, I honestly can't remember a, a bedtime story when when I was a kid. I, I think I ended up being like my son. I, I think I probably read myself to sleep most nights. I got really into Dungeons and Dragons early on because my brother. So uh, there was a series of books, Dragonlance, that I would read voraciously. So I probably had a stack of those next to the bed. But no, I, I don't. My parents worked a lot, so they came home late. I don't know. They probably just tucked me in. I honestly can't really remember. But, you know, that, that's why as parents, you try to do the things that your parents didn't. Right. That's why things skip a generation, right? Because it's just a back and forth of yeah, do it, don't do it, do it, don't do it. So if that's the case, my kids will never read to their kids ever. <laughs> it'll, it'll be an AI robot uh, just generating stories. Yeah. Story time, GPT or whatever. They'll just type in a prompt. Yeah. Yeah. And, and there you have it. And actually, speaking of prompts. <laughs> nice, nice. The first word is water bottle. Water bottle. Once upon a time, there was a little girl who lived in the desert. And as you know, water in the desert is a pretty precious commodity. And she lived far away from the nearest oasis. But her parents, they were very skilled engineers and they had built a well. I don't know exactly how that works, but I know that they had dug a hole very deep into the ground and they managed to extract water. And it was, it was a secret well though they didn't want a lot of people from around the desert to know that they had that water because there wasn't a lot of it and they wanted to make sure that that their family came first and that they could take care of their family but this little girl her name was eliza and she was very generous and very appreciative of of the water that she had and every day she would go to school and before school she would she would fill up this water bottle and one day on the bus she met a little boy named wesley and he was eating a very salty cracker after he finished eating his salty cracker he reached into his backpack to get something to drink and realized he didn't have anything and he looked over at eliza with kind of desperate eyes and he asked her for a sip of water. She looked at him and she said, the true test, if you need water, is if you can whistle. And he looked at her strangely and said, what? She said, yeah, if, if your mouth is too salty, you can't whistle. 
So she says, if you can show me that you can whistle, you don't need water. So he said, okay. So he put his lips together and he tried to whistle. <sighs> Nothing had come out. Just air blowing over his lips. And he said, see, I, I, I really need the water. So Eliza looked at him and said, you know what? Wesley, all I have is this one water bottle full of water that's supposed to last me through the day. But if you really need it and you can't whistle, you can't make the music, I'll give you some water. So he hands him the water bottle. He graciously looks at her and says, thank you so much, and starts to chug. Just glug, 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 glug. She grabs the water bottle away from him and says, hey, that's too much. I, I, I have to either go back home in the middle of the school day and miss half the classes, or I have to journey to this oasis to get more water. So please, let's, let's conserve the water, shall we? He says, yes, yes, of course, I'm sorry. So they finally get to school, they get out of the bus, and they start walking to class. Eliza unscrews the top of the water bottle and looks inside. And sure enough, Wesley has drank half of her water. She screws the top back on and she says, look, Wesley, I think we need to play hooky today because we need to get more water. And he looks at her and says, all right, after math class, we'll head out to the oasis and see if we can refill this water bottle. And she has a better idea. She says, you know, it made me feel so good to give you the water that you needed, why don't we take more water bottles that we find around school and bring them to the oasis? And therefore we can bring back water for everyone. And he says, that sounds like a great idea. So after math class, they meet out back behind the school. And they noticed that the custodian had left his golf cart out, just sitting there, idling, keys still in there. I mean, it was either that or walk to the oasis, and it was a good 20-mile walk, and they would have never made it back before the end of school to catch the bus, and they really hadn't thought this out. I mean, they're 10-year-old kids, right? They were just excited about the idea of, of water, water for everyone. And they had gathered up different bottles that they found, you know, throughout uh, throughout the school. Uh, they had gotten some out of the janitorial closet. They made sure that they cleaned them out because they didn't know, you know, if there had been any cleaning chemicals. You know, they, they wanted to, you know, they were kids, but they were they were, they were sharp kids. And and so they, they cleaned out all these bottles. They, they loaded them on to the custodian's golf cart and they took off. But the problem was this golf cart didn't go very fast. And Eliza said to Wesley, she said, you know, Wesley was driving and, and she said, Wesley, can't you, can't you go any faster? I mean, we're, we're never going to make it. We might as well have just walked. This thing is so slow. And he said, I don't know. I, I don't know how to, I've never driven a golf cart. And she's like, well, why are you driving the golf cart? I should be driving the golf cart. He said, well, okay, that's, that's probably a better idea, you know, since you seem to know what's going on and I'm just, I'm kind of here. I'm just along for the ride. And but I, I don't know how to make it faster. And she was like, well, have you ever heard of a governor? And he said, well, yeah, governor is the, the, the head of this, the state. He's like the president of, of our state. He's the governor. She said, no, you silly nincompoop. The governor on a golf cart is the thing that controls the speed. I have an older sister that caddies at the local golf course and she and her boyfriend always sneak out and they take the governors off these golf carts and they, they ride around and they get in trouble. They're bad examples. You shouldn't be following what I, what I say. I'm just, I'm the broader point here though is, is that we need to remove the governor. And he said, do you know how to do that? And she said, well, 
I don't know, but it's a golf cart. It's it's small. It, there can't be too many parts to it. I'll just just pull over here and 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 I'll I'll get under the hood and figure it out. So they pulled over and she opened up. Actually, I think it's in the back. I think it's in the back. She opened up the back of the golf cart and she was shocked to find inside the golf cart were also a number of empty water bottles. So somebody must have had this plan before, but never actually done it. Luckily, with her sister's knowledge and the fact that her parents were such good engineers, she found the governor and removed it. She said, Wesley, move over, man. I'm driving. They hop back in the golf cart. She hits the gas, or the electric gas, I should say. The accelerator. She hits the accelerator, and the golf cart takes off. A spray of sand flies behind them. They make it to the oasis in no time at all, thanks to her ingenuity. They see off in the distance the palm trees sprouting up from the desert, and she knows it must be there. The oasis is there. They come up to it. There's a hill before it, and the golf cart slowly tries to climb, but since they took the governor off, they've really depleted the battery. So to go over any hill is tough. Luckily on the way back, it's mostly downhill. They get over the top of the hill and they look down and they see a beautiful oasis. Just water, there are some, some birds. You, you never see birds in the desert. There, there are birds in this oasis swimming around, life teeming from the seemingly arid desert. They're so excited, they start driving down. Before they get there, she veers off to the side and slams on the brakes. Because in front of them, snapping at them with huge jaws and giant teeth, is an alligator. And this alligator is snarling at them and snapping at them. And she turns to Wesley, she goes, how are we going to get to the oasis to get the water with this alligator in the way? And Wesley looks over and realizes that the alligator's not chasing them. And he looks... And sure enough, the alligator's tail is caught under a rock. And he goes, oh, you know what? I don't think that alligator's mad at us or is trying to come eat us. I, I think he's probably thirsty like we are, and he can't get to the water. Let's try something. So he takes the golf cart down to the oasis and fills up one of the largest water bottles they have with an open top. Fills it up, and then he starts walking back up. The alligator's snapping, gnawing, arr, 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 trying to get him. He reaches his hand out with trust and the water bottle and puts it out so the alligator can get it. The alligator looks at him sternly and then starts drinking from the water. Now, if you've ever seen an alligator smile, it's something to behold. But this alligator polishes off the water bottle and smiles. Eliza goes over, carefully removes the rock from the alligator's tail. Now, the alligator is so thankful to be freed and to have a, a nice glass of water that they load up all the water bottles on the alligator's back to walk it down to the oasis so they can do it faster because time's running out and school's gonna end soon. So with the alligator's help, they fill up all the water bottles and get them back on the golf cart. Now they turn the golf cart around and start going back up over the hill, but it won't make it. The golf cart stalls and can't get up the hill. So the alligator, to thank them, puts his nose on the back of the golf cart and starts to push push, push. And Wesley looks over to Eliza and says, as soon as we hit the top of this hill and start heading back towards school, you give it all it's got because that's the only way we're going to make it. 
The alligator pushes, pushes, pushes. The golf cart gets to the top of the hill and they start zooming down. They wave their goodbye to the alligator as they start heading back towards the school. And they just coasted. All that water headed downhill. They had all that weight behind them. And then the wind picked up a bit and gave them an extra push. And just as they were approaching the school, they heard the bell ring and the kids started pouring out. And they thought, oh gosh, I'm gonna be in so much trouble. We're gonna be in so much trouble because in addition to all the kids pouring out of the school, they saw a very stern janitor standing with his arms crossed and a very serious look in his eyes. But then his, his expression changed as he saw what was on their cart. And he, like everyone at the school, like everyone in that town, was generally thirsty most of the time. And his stern frown turned into a broad grin. And then the students saw what they had and they pulled into the school like a couple of heroes and they handed out water to everyone. And from that day on, Eliza and Wesley were crowned water ambassadors for the school. And whenever the school needed anything or whenever anyone in the community needed any water, Wesley and Eliza were the ones to share it with everyone. All right, nicely done, Clark. The next word is tomboy. A long time ago, in a land far, far away, there was a mare, a mare named Cynthia. A mare, for those of you who don't know, is a female horse. Now, Cynthia always liked to do the things the boys did. <laughs> and tomboy being a uh, questionable word in this day and age, uh, <laughs> um, she enjoyed sports. She enjoyed running around and getting dirty outdoor with, with the male horses, the boys at her school. She didn't like wearing dresses or getting her mane braided or brushed. She didn't go to the salon to get special horseshoes with her mother. No, no, no. She liked to play with the boys. So one day her mother said, look, you need to start doing mare things because you're a mare and you need to fit in. I go to this special hair salon for my hair that's run by a unicorn. Now, if you could just maybe hang out with her and be more unicorn-like, maybe she can teach you how to be a mare. So Cynthia says, oh, okay, mom, if, if, if that's what you really want me to do, I, I'll try. So she goes down to the salon and meets the unicorn, Agatha. Now, Agatha, says, to be a unicorn, you need to do certain things that will hopefully teach you how to be a mare. So if you can be more like a unicorn, hopefully you can feel more mare-like. She says, oh, okay, what, you know, I, I know unicorns have magical properties, but what, what, what kind of things can you teach me? She says, well, with my unicorn horn, I can, I can make things grow. So let's, let's try to maybe get you a, a green thumb. So Cynthia goes and gets a potted plant and puts seeds inside of it and waters it and makes sure it has plenty of sun, but nothing grows. And Agatha says, oh no, with my unicorn horn, watch, watch my pot. She puts her unicorn horn down and a light shines out of it and a plant sprouts up and grows. 
Cynthia goes, oh, that's, I, I don't have a horn. I, I, I can't do that. She says, well, maybe carry the pot around with you and maybe it, it'll grow. The, the more mirror-like you become, the more unicorn magic you get from me. She says, oh, okay, I, I'll try. So Cynthia carries that pot around every day. Still nothing grows. She says, Agatha, well, what else can you teach me? And she says, well, unicorns can also fly. Did, did you know that? And she says, yeah, I, I, I knew that, but I, I've never been able to fly. I'm just, I'm just a horse. And Agatha goes, here, watch me. And Agatha takes off, and with her unicorn horn magic, she flies through the sky. Cynthia looks at her and goes, wow, let me try to do that. So Cynthia climbs up the staircase to the second story window, and she says, I'm gonna, I'm gonna try. My mom says I need to learn from this unicorn. I'm gonna do it. Cynthia runs as fast as she can, she jumps out the window. And for a second, she's flying, her hair flowing in the wind, then gravity kicks in, and she starts plummeting towards the earth. And sure enough, bang, she hits the ground. It hurts her leg a little. And Agatha comes down and goes, oh, you, 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 didn't, you, you didn't fly. And Cynthia goes, no, I didn't fly. I'm, I'm a horse, not a unicorn. And Agatha goes, okay, we, we, we could try one more thing. Did you know that, that unicorns can fart rainbows? <laughs> and Cynthia goes, yeah, yeah, no, I, I've seen that before. It, it really, really freaks me out when that happens. And Agatha goes, well, just maybe try. Maybe we'll, we'll just go back to this one base thing and you can try to do that. Maybe that'll make you learn some unicorn magic and, and, and feel more like a, like a mare instead of a boy. So Cynthia with her potted plant and now her little leg in a, in a sling, she's walking around on three legs. She tries. Agatha goes, here, watch, watch very quickly. And then, phew. A rainbow shoots out of her tush. Cynthia thinks that's so weird, but she tries it herself. So she's trying to make the rainbow happen, trying to make the rainbow happen, and sure enough, she's, she wets herself. And she's so embarrassed. She's so embarrassed that she's wet herself that she she hangs her head in shame and she says, Agatha, I, I'm so sorry. I, I I obviously can't be a unicorn. I That's just, it's, it's not me. So she, she takes her little wounded hoof and she... She takes her wet legs and she hobbles on home with her pot. She puts the pot down, she goes into her room and she lays down on her bed and she starts crying. And her mother hears her crying and she comes in and she says, Cynthia, honey, what's, what's the matter? And Cynthia goes, Mom, I, I tried everything I could. I tried everything I could. I spoke to Agatha. Agatha tried to help me fly. She, she tried to help me grow something out of the ground immediately. She. I'm embarrassed to say I even tried to fart a rainbow, but, but I couldn't do it. And Cynthia's mom looked at her and said, oh honey, and she realized that maybe that's not what her daughter was meant to do. Maybe her, her daughter was happiest just, just being her. And she took the pot and she put it in the window and she tucked her daughter in and she said, look honey, I understand that you may not be a mare like everyone else is a mare. Maybe you like, playing horsey basketball. Maybe you like running around and getting dirty in the mud. Maybe you're not made to go to the salon and get the fancy horseshoes. Maybe you're not made to have your hair braided and glittery the, the way I like it. Maybe you're not meant to hang out with unicorns and, and do the things I do. I understand. So tomorrow morning, I want you to go with your father and go to the horsey baseball diamond and try out for the team and see what happens. And Cynthia looks up at her mom for the first time feeling 
seen and understood. So she says, thanks, Mom. I, I, I appreciate that. So Cynthia goes to sleep that night and has very restful dreams. Next day after school, she goes with her dad down to the baseball diamond to try out for the team. And all the other horses and stallions look at her and they're like, what? what's she doing here? Girls can't try out for baseball. And Cynthia's dad says, actually, I looked through the, uh, the rules and regulations and nowhere in there does it say that a mare can't try out. So Cynthia's dad looks at her and says, honey, you go out there and you have fun. So Cynthia goes up and they say, look, if you can get a hit, you can be on the team. But I have to warn you, these stallions and these boy horses, they, they pitch fast. She says, I spent all yesterday trying to be a unicorn. I think I can handle this. So she gets up to the plate, shakes it out a little, tests her hurt hoof. It's feeling a little better today. So the first pitch up, she swings, miss, strike one. She shakes it off. Next pitch, she swings again. It's even faster, strike two. Now she's starting to doubt herself. So she takes a step out of the horsey batter box and looks over to her dad and her dad just whinnies, says, you can do it, honey, just be you. So Cynthia gets back in the horsey batter box again, holds that bat up. Pitcher has a snide look on his long horsey face and throws it as hard as he can. She swings that bat, she connects, it goes up, up. It's not only a hit, it goes over the wall. It is a horsey home run. She takes her three good legs and her one hurt leg and she saunters around the bases. And by the time she gets to home plate, the whole team is there, neighing and winning and jumping around and cheering her on as she makes it to home plate. And they put a hat on her and they say, Cynthia, welcome to the team. Thank you, Clark Freeman, for joining us for some truly weird stories that even managed to include a rainbow farting unicorn. Be sure to catch The Harbinger streaming for free on Tubi or wherever you stream your entertainment. Be sure to tune in next week when Clark's sister Cassidy from The Righteous Gemstones comes by to help us tell some bedtime stories. Until then, thank you and good night.